Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to see you here today. It's going to be a great day. The Bible says that the church is the house of the living God. And so if you're excited to be in the house of God with the people of God, let me hear you say yes. You guys sound amazing today. Man, I love seeing those baptisms. One more time, can we celebrate that? Because I never want to get tired of seeing baptisms. I have a five-year-old son by the name of John Charles, and he is like on the brink, ready to be baptized. And a couple of weeks ago, he said, Daddy, I, I want to be baptized, but I'm nervous. Can you practice on me in the bathtub? So I was like, I baptize you in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I dunked him. And so yesterday he said, Dad, I want to get baptized again, but this time I want to get baptized in front of a lot of people. And this time I want to wear clothes. I was like, we're on the right path. Let's go. And it's because this is a church where we know that Jesus did not just come to make bad people a little bit better. Jesus came to raise dead people to life. If you believe that, say amen. And today we're going to continue in our message series called Resilient. Somebody say Resilient. And we're going to be studying in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. So I encourage you to go ahead and keep your Bible open. Because today we have about seven verses that we're going to go through step by step and verse by verse. And maybe you already kind of heard where we're going today. And maybe you uh, brought a friend with you. Maybe you're watching online for the first time. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while. I want you to know you're welcome today. And don't be scared off because you hear a verse like that and you're like, What? Wives submit to husbands, great. Why do we come today? Can I just tell you, there is so much hope and life packed in this text. You know why? Because the Bible is truth. And aren't you grateful for people who tell you the truth? My wife is here today. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. Let's just give her a round of applause because I'm going to need it after I tell this story. <laughs> Build up the love bank. Um, my wife is one of those people who is shockingly honest. In therapy, they told me to stop saying brutally honest, so I've shifted to shockingly honest. I'm a words of affirmation person, and my wife is shockingly honest, so that's a blessing. We work that out all the time. And she told me a story recently uh, about how she and my three-year-old daughter were at, were at one of our very favorite places in the world, and maybe you like it too. It's called Costco, because in the Bennett family, it goes church, obviously, um, and then maybe the beach, Disney World, and then Costco, amen? We gotta get the good deal on the olive oil. And so she's there with our third baby, Rosalie Bennett, our pandemic baby, she's just new into society. She hasn't got used to it yet. Um, and but, so she's like into it. She loves people. And just like most third kids, she loves attention. And she loves like getting people's attention. And so my wife's telling me the story. She's like, we walk into Costco and, you know, we're kind of making our way around. And immediately we see this guy. He's like an older guy, kind of stooped over, shaggy hair, you know, sort of weird look in his eye. I'm like, okay, it's a lot of details. And um, shockingly honest, I told you. And so she's like, and, and the whole time, our daughter Rosalie is like trying to get his attention. You know, she's like, I'm trying to push my way through and get our big Cheez-Its. Just kidding, we all organic. And, uh, you know, move through, get all of our vegetables. And Rosalie, every time, like we catch his eye, she's like trying to wave to him and get his attention. And finally she's like, mom, I wanna go over there. I wanna say something to him. So she's like, okay. And she pushes her way over. By the way, she's fact-checking this whole thing right now. She'll tell you the truth later. And so they push up to this guy and my wife tells me that my daughter looks at him and she goes, hi, you look exactly like my dad. <laughs> well, you didn't have to tell me that whole story. You could have changed like one detail, made me feel better. You could have said, we walked into Costco, we saw this guy look just like Brad Pitt. And then just keep the rest of the story. 
and we would have been fine. And my wife's looking at me because she knows the truth. And the truth is this, the truth is more important than my ego. Aren't you grateful for people who tell the truth? I'm grateful that God's word tells the truth because we live in a society where truth matters more than ever. And today we're not gonna shy away from what the Bible teaches us because the truth of the matter is, is that first Peter is a real letter written by a real man who walked with Jesus by the name of Peter to a real group of people. And what it contains is a real message for us today. The purpose of this letter in 1 Peter that we've been examining over these past few weeks is simple and beautiful. What does it mean to follow Jesus in a world that's falling apart? What does it mean to follow Jesus in a world that's falling apart? And if we're not careful, we'll start looking around at the news and start thinking to ourselves, it's never been this bad before. But the book of 1 Peter was written to a group of Christians who were facing extraordinary circumstances. They were literally being killed on a regular basis by a madman named Nero. They were being pushed to the outside of society. They were being mocked by the current religious establishment. And yet the church was growing. And it's because hundreds and hundreds of people were willing to give everything, not for something that they thought they should do, not for a should. They were giving their lives because in Jesus, they had found something so radically good. And the Bible teaches us that God's word contains the words of life. And every detail of this life matters. Sometimes we're tempted in modern Christianity to treat God's instruction as a jumping off point for negotiation. And yet we see in today's text that God's word works in harmony and unity, that the Bible gives the words of life and every detail matters. And today we're gonna be talking about the practical area of the new life Christ has called us to. We're gonna be talking about gender roles in society and marriage. Isn't that fun? Talking about gender roles in our society can be a little tricky. Just ask Bud Light. As followers of Jesus, we do not have to be afraid to talk about the tough issues. Amen. You know why? Because we have the Bible. And today I want to ask a provocative question for those who are married in the room. What if your marriage could help change the world? In fact, I wanna tell you a truth I'm gonna back up. God intends for your marriage to help change the world. You know why we need a message like this in a world that's falling apart? Because too many Christian marriages look like the regular marriages. And why would anybody want something like that? God intends for your marriage not just to survive, God intends for your marriage to be a living example of what it means to thrive in this kingdom experience of being called by the name of Jesus. And the reason we trust the Bible is just what we heard a moment ago. The Bible's not a weapon to hurt people, amen? The Bible is a lifeline to save people and the best part of all, it's true. 
So as we study these seven verses, I'm gonna ask two basic questions. Number one, what is the Bible teaching us? And we're gonna do a Bible study, verse by verse. And the second question we're gonna ask towards the end is this, why is God teaching us this? So would you just pause for a moment, pray with me. Let's invite Jesus to breathe on this, to speak to our hearts and change our lives. Let's pray. God, we are here because we believe that you're good. And right now, in faith, we have the audacity to ask that you would meet us here, that you would show up in our midst by the power of your spirit to bring your word to life in our hearts like never before. God, I'm believing right now there are marriages that need healing. There are lives that need restoring. There are strongholds that need surrendering, and that's the kind of work that only you can do. So move here today. In Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. Let's look back at our text together. So if you've got your Bible, great. If not, we'll put it on the screens for you. I like when people bring their Bible to church, even if they glow. 1 Peter 3, 1, likewise. I want you to pay attention to that word because it's gonna be really important for about five good minutes. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Again, I wanna start with the very first word, the word likewise. Likewise is a really interesting word in Bible study. It's, um, if you're a detective on a crime scene, there's certain clues that you're looking for. If you can find fingerprints, it might be the clue to cracking the case. It signals that there's something deeper to look for. The word likewise is one of those words. Likewise, in this passage of scripture, is a clear instruction to show us that what we read only makes sense in the broader teaching of 1 Peter, and in fact, the broader teaching of the Bible. Context is important. Uh, what if I told you uh, about my favorite movie, but I took some of the details out of context? It might be difficult to guess what I was talking about. So let me try, and this is real. So as soon as you think you know what movie I'm talking about, you can shout it out. Unless it gets weird, I'm gonna shut it down, okay? So let's try. Well, my, one of my favorite movies, and my wife loves this movie as well. It's a story about a dysfunctional group who spends nine hours trying to return jewelry. What movie's that? What was that? Goonies? See? See, and I love that he raised his hand. That's so polite. <laughs> Praise God for that. It's the movie, The Lord of the Rings. See, now you get it. When I put it into context, everything makes sense. The details are accurate, but it's missing the truth. Let's try another one. What if I told you that a movie that I let my children watch? See if you can guess this one. Um, it's about a movie about a woman with a potential history of mental illness in her family who kind of talks to herself for long lengths of time, and then one day marries her kidnapper. What movie's that? Beauty and the Beast. A tale as old as time. So again, the details are technically accurate, but it's missing the point of the story. And this is why I want to tell you this, is because right now in Christendom, we're facing a reckoning about people who have taken verses like this out of context to hurt and abuse women in our churches. And I wanna tell you the great tragedy of this is if you rip a verse 
like this out of context, you might be tempted to say something like this. Well, the Bible says women always have to listen to men because men are strong and women are weak. Well, not only would that be misleading, I would argue that it's a gross misrepresentation of Jesus and his intention for our relationships. In fact, I think that far too often we've seen men take passages like this out of context to mistreat women and still seem Christian. And I just wanna say to you, that's not Christian. It's not just not Christian, it's evil and it's wrong. And if we're Christian, we have to rebuke that in Jesus' name. So what does it say? First Peter three, likewise, wives. Again, I wanna point back to the fact that likewise demands, we see this in context. Here's what's so gorgeous about the Bible. Maybe today you're checking out church and you're not sure how the Bible stands apart from any other religious document. Like there's a lot of good documents out there. How is the Bible any different? I'm so glad you asked. The Bible cross-referenced itself 63,000 times. Here is a photo of what that looks like. If you took all the different ways the Bible connects, this is what it looks like from Genesis to Revelation. And if this was written by one author over the course of a few years, this would be a magnitude. This would be revelatory. But here is what is miraculous about the Bible. Not only does it have great harmony, but that was achieved by 40 different authors over 1,500 years contained in 66 books. There's no document like the Bible. And in this letter, Peter is painting a picture in context of a new humanity initiated by Jesus. Again, like I said earlier, that Jesus didn't just come to make your bad life a little bit better. Jesus said, you live in a broken world that is broken by sin. Sin is not following the plan of God. And sin is like a disease and every disease has symptoms. And that was never what I wanted for you. And so Jesus came as the king of a new kingdom to initiate a new rule and a new reign, to raise people to new life and a new humanity. And Peter is painting the picture of what it looks like to behave in that kingdom in a practical way, not just to please God. The Bible says Jesus is the only one by his work on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Only Jesus can fully please God. It's not just to please God because that work is finished, but it's to walk in the fullness of the life God has for us. And so Peter, in this entire document, in this entire letter, is painting that picture. Hey, I know we're under fire. I know things are tough. I know that some people among you are saying, I don't know if this is what I signed up for, but I wanna remind you and commission you and instruct you and pastor you that this is worth it. Because in the midst of a world on fire, in the midst of a world filled with death, we have been called to a living hope. Nothing more, nothing less. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we've studied in this series, he brings that to life. In chapter 2, over the past few weeks, we've begun to see the details of God's crazy plan of rescuing the world. We see that for hundreds of years, a group of people known as God's people, the Jews, were waiting on a savior. They expected him to come in like a military ruler and instead God sent a baby in a manger. In chapter two, Peter says, he was rejected by humans, but chosen by God. 
This is the kind of savior that rode in on a donkey. He submitted to his accusers. He prayed for his abusers. And he surrendered his own life because he knew in three days he would be alive again. Jesus' confidence as a king was supremely rooted in his resurrection. And Peter is reminding us that as believers in Jesus, we root our confidence in the same place that Jesus placed his. We walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Just like Jesus, we walk in humility and submission in all things. And the word likewise points back to that whole story. Isn't that cool? In fact, the message of the first two chapters of 1 Peter really says this, that we are called to live great lives in this world among those who don't believe so that they might believe. The world should see the way that you're living and see something different, see something attractive, see something real. They should see God's way of life coursing through your veins and they should wanna know how they can get some of that. And the Bible says that one of our secret weapons to display this world to display this life to a world on fire. The secret weapons are humility and submission. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter starts this theme talking about submission. He paints a broad picture. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He first says, I'm gonna talk to all Christians. You have a call to submit. In a government that's oppressing you, in a government that's trying to throw you out, in a government that says you shouldn't exist, you know what you should do? Submit to the government. That was wild. He continues to paint this picture and he starts to get into some specific groups. And in verse, uh, chapter two, verse 18, he begins to talk to servants. And he says, servants, here's what I want you to do. I want you to submit to your masters. And it's not for any old reason. He says, I want you to submit like Jesus in your place would submit. And then in chapter two, verse 24, he writes this. This is what Jesus did. If you wanna know the level of submission that I'm calling you to so that the world will see there's something different in you, here's what it looks like. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You are healed. By his wounds, you are healed. That's the immediate context that then Peter says, likewise, wives. Likewise, wives, submit to your husbands. So then we have to start asking some practical questions. Is the Bible calling women to submit to dominance? No. In fact, in context, we're going to see that the Bible is calling women to submit to something really specific, to leadership and love. So 1 Peter 3, it gives Christian women hope, even Christian women who were not married to believers, because this was a new society, and the gospel was reaching people in lots of different ways, and it was impacting women at a higher rate And so there was hope given to these women who were receiving the gospel and saying, but my husband hasn't gotten a hold of this yet. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to leave him? Am I supposed to walk away? Am I supposed to walk away from Jesus? What do I do? And so specifically, Peter is offering hope to these women. And he says that even unbelieving husbands might be one to Christ when they see a Christ-like attitude in the home. And I just want you to know 
you should never underestimate what God is able to do through you in the life of somebody else. I think that's one of the grave mistakes that we make. I just want you to never underestimate the lengths God would go to to transform your life to show the world what he can do. And I wonder if there's somebody here today that needs to be transformed. But I will tell you that in context, while this is offering hope to Christian women who are married to non-Christian men, the primary teaching here is for Christian couples. And I love talking to Christian couples. I got to go to a wedding yesterday. I love going to weddings and I love leaving them early. That's my move. I'm like, things are fun. You're having a good time. Okay, bye. I'll see your photos on Instagram. Um, The primary teaching here is for Christian couples. What are women called to submit to? Leadership and love. I used to be a college pastor, and so I got to preach on this stuff all the time. I'd be like, we're going to do a relationship series, and everybody's coming because they can't wait for that one week where I talk about you know what, wink, wink. And then they love to come in for premarital counseling, and they're like, when are we going to get to that week, wink. And I read this same passage every time. It's a complimentary passage. It's one of those cross-references that we just saw. Ephesians chapter 5, where the apostle Paul writes this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Somebody's like, did it say everything? I'll just keep reading. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. If we left it there, Half the guys in here would still struggle. I gotta love her every day, even when the game is on? Yes, love your wives. But can I just say, this is where I start to dig in on young men They sent my office for premarital counseling. Because I said, the world is gonna teach you one kind of love. The Bible is gonna teach you the true kind of love. Let's dig in. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, we have this word in our culture called passion. And it calls to mind like what I do at a football game and my team scores. It calls to mind um, all those people we saw in Atlanta last weekend when they were seeing some girl have some concert. I can't remember her name. But in the first century, that's not what the word passion meant. Passion was never meant to describe something that made you feel excited. Passion only referenced what Jesus did on the cross. It's not a cause that you'll scream for, it's a cause that you will bleed for. And the Bible is calling men to love their wives with passion. This was revolutionary and shocking in the ancient world. To ask a man, in the ancient world to see a woman not as property, but as a person, not just as a person, but as a daughter of the king of heaven. This was shocking then, it's shocking now. And so if we were to sum this up, what does submission look like in the cross-referenced context? Men, lay your life down for your wives. Wives, let him. That's the commendation of this. Even a man said that. Come on, brother. Somebody's getting kisses tonight. 
Me too? No? Okay. Just going to go for it. Men are called to lead. And in God's kingdom, leaders are held accountable. I wonder what it would look like in your home if there were some men that just said, I'm going to rise up like a man who's been bought by the precious blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm going to live like he would if he were here. I'm going to live like I would if I knew one day I'm going to stand face to face and be held accountable for how I stewarded the family he gave me. What would it look like in your home and how would it raise the spiritual temperature? What would it look like if suddenly men began to lead every day saying, what does prayer look like in this house? What does Bible study look like in this house? What does serving look like in this house? What does generosity look like in this house? What does life change look like in this house? What does sacrifice look like in this house? Can I tell you, men, that is what you will be held accountable for. This is not just the Bible. I mean, science is always confirming the Bible, by the way. I was reading a study about parenting. Research proves again and again that dads matter in the home. I know you know, but I'm gonna tell you again. The research says that involved fathers are associated with higher grades, stronger math and verbal skills, greater emotional security, higher self-esteem, fewer behavioral problems, and overall development. Research says that men should be serious about leading in the home. The Bible says men should be serious about leading in the home. Men, I wanna call you today. How are you sacrificing for your wife and your family? How are you pursuing your wife? How are you laying down your life? It was revolutionary then, it was revolutionary now. God calls us to a new kind of revolution. Let's look at verse three. First Peter 3, 3. Women, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Hey, I just want to ask some women in the room, aren't you exhausted living in a world that equates your value by what's on the outside? Isn't it just ever exhausting living in a world dominated by a $570 billion a year beauty industry? with a central message that says you're not enough until, until you make them money. Seems new, but it's an old message. You can paint the outside to fix the inside. And 2,000 years ago, the Bible steps on the scene and just challenges that forever. This would have been so shocking in a pagan world. Do you know there were more Christians than there were pagans in the ancient world? You know why? Because Christians let their women live and pagans killed their daughters. Oftentimes, if a pagan family had a second daughter and she could no longer be traded for her physical beauty or her ability to procreate, then she would be left to something called exposure. And on the regular, they would leave her out in the wilderness to starve to death or freeze to death or be eaten by animals. And you know why Christianity has done more to elevate women than any other religion in history, than any other faith system in history, it's because Christianity came in and said, you're a person who matters beyond what you can offer a man. 
Women were valued by their body's usefulness to men, either for pleasure or procreation. First Peter 3 says, you're valued, woman, by the hidden person of your heart. And maybe somebody needed to remind you of that today. I got two daughters at home. Every day I wanna teach them that they matter so much more than who wants them. I was at that wedding yesterday, and I'm just gonna share with you real openly. I'm gonna tell the truth. I overheard a conversation between two family members and one well, well-meaning family member was talking to a single girl. And she was like, pretty soon it's gonna be you up there. And this ferocious, awesome, godly woman apparently got a hold of 1 Peter 3. And she said, hey, I'm gonna need you to stop saying things like that because I matter so much more than any man. I was like, come on, Whew. give her the microphone. The Bible says you're not property, you're a person and surround yourself with people who know that and tell yourself that as long as you need to hear it, as often as you need to hear it, you matter. The resurrection of Jesus changed the world. We wouldn't be here today if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He would be another interesting Jewish figure with a set of nice messages of loving your enemy. It would have been cool to hear the stories of how he healed those who need healing and reached out to those on the margins of society and Um, was willing to challenge the world's most powerful government. I mean, he'd still be pretty cool. But the fact that he conquered the grave is why we're here. And in his sovereignty, he could have given that message to anybody that he wanted to. And the first person to ever tell that story was a woman. No one values women like Jesus. 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Some of you might be saying, Aaron, I was with you until you read that part about weaker vessel. What's that? Weaker? Get out of here. I'm telling you, that's not the shocking part of this verse. Let me tell you why. When the Bible here in this context is talking about a weaker vessel, it's not a value statement. It's just simply a strength statement. Weaker is not a reference to a woman's worth. It's a reference to physical strength. An academic analysis by Princeton University of world records in weightlifting. Yes, I just, I study that stuff. (laughs) It found that on average, women can lift 60 to 70% of what a man can lift. It's because God designed a woman body different than a male body in his perfect harmony of how he made the world. And strength was important in the ancient world. It was a means of survival. People didn't sit at a keyboard. They farmed the earth. They try to kill things or fish for things so their family could eat. This was not a value statement. This was an honest statement because strength doesn't always equal value. Women might be softer than men, But gold is softer than steel. But gold is more valuable than steel. And so practically, Peter is painting a picture. He's saying, Christians, submit to government. Servants, submit to leaders. Younger, submit to the elder. And as I'm getting older and older, I like that verse more and more. You can't submit. Wives, submit to husbands just like Jesus. John Piper is a really well-known pastor who's preached this verse countless times. And he writes this, submission does not mean that you will agree on everything. It does not mean that you leave your brain at the altar. 
It does not mean that you're not also leading in your home. It does not mean that you will put the will of your husband before the will of Christ. And praise God, it does not mean you should ever be in a place where you have to live in fear. That is not what the Bible is saying. The shocking part of the verse I just read to you that would have flipped its world upside down is what Peter says about a woman. He says, the reason you better be patient, husbands, the reason you better be a godly husband is because you gotta know who lives in your house with you. The person who lives in your house with you is no ordinary individual. If she knows Jesus, she is an heir with you of the grace of life. The person living in your home is a co-heir of the kingdom of God. And you better never forget it. Because a woman's worth in the kingdom was not determined by her usefulness to a man and a woman's destiny was a God wasn't dependent upon a man. And that was pretty revolutionary in that time. And I just wanna say, remember, this is written to wives, not women. And whenever I preach on marriage, I just wanna say, if you're single, God loves you in your singleness. You are valued in your singleness. And Jesus meets you there Jesus really came to change everything about this broken world. He says, men lead with sacrificial love and leadership. Husbands and wives live like Jesus. I wonder if there's somebody here today that in just a moment, we're gonna have people come forward available for prayer. I wonder if there's a husband and wife that just needs to look at each other and get honest in church because if you can't get honest in church, where can you get honest? And say, we just need somebody to pray for our marriage today. It doesn't mean things are crazy. Does it mean things are awful? Maybe it does. Maybe it just means that you realize as you look at each other, we need the fresh touch of God on what we're doing here today because our marriage is decent, but I don't know if it's changing the world. And if you walk out of here today without the knowledge and readiness that your marriage can transform the communities that you live in, transform the extended families that you're in, then you've missed out on God's best for you. Today, invite him in. That's the invitation. Today, invite him in. So I I told you, I'm gonna talk about two things. The first is, what is this passage teaching? And so I hope I've, as as quickly as I could, gone through and unpacked in context this passage. The second thing I wanna cover in our few moments left is why. Why is this important to God? Like, why should we really pay attention to this? And so I've got three statements for you. The first is this, God's design brings life. God's design brings life. I know that in my own life, still to this day as a preacher, I like to make a deal with God. I like to say there's parts of this that I love. The everlasting life sounds great. This part over here, I don't know. We'll get to that eventually. And I just want you to know that's not how God planned this. God's design brings life. And in order to see that clearly, we have to look at one of the biggest things in all of creation, our very own universe. The same God who designed the universe designed your marriage. So let's look at his character. I was a pastor in Portland, Oregon for a number of years, and it's known as the least religious city in America. Bad at church, great at protest. And I would meet people regularly and they'd say, I don't know if I believe in God. And I would say, what do you believe in? And very smugly, they would say, I believe in science. Okay, great, let's dig in. And I would say, would you agree that science says it's pretty impossible that we exist, just mathematically? And they're like, "Uh, tell me more. 
Um, yeah, great. There was one secular author who wrote this, for humans to be here on earth, so many conditions have to be precisely correct that it's highly improbable that we exist, but we do. So here's just a few of the conditions that had to be present in God's design because God's design brings life. We had to be located near the right color of star. If you don't know what to be thankful for today, be thankful that we don't live near a blue star because those burn out too quickly. Be grateful that we don't live near a red star because they're not warm enough. They're cold and they're dim. Be grateful that we're located near a yellow star. And by the way, only 10% of the stars in the universe are yellow and not just a yellow star. We had to be located near a third generation yellow star. You know why? I'm sure you know why. It's because the yellow star makes it possible for all the elements that we need to exist. What kind of elements? I know, it's, it's not just those essential oils, like the earth gave us those, praise God. Not just multi-level marketing. If you sell those, um, well, we talk later, email somebody, not me. Um, amazingly, the earth has all 94 natural occurring elements, and it's because we live near a third generation yellow star. That's right, you guessed it. Calcium for our teeth, our brains need zinc for the electrochemical signals, and not just a yellow third generation star. We had to be located in the habitable zone around that star so that it's warm enough to exist, but not so warm that all the water evaporates, that it's cool enough not to fry, but not so cold that all the water is frozen. The fact that we have liquid water is miraculous. And not just that, but we had to have a planet with a solid surface. And below that solid surface, we had to have tectonic plates that move, and all of these alone are fairly rare. And to bring all of these together is unheard of. And so the tectonic plates that move, not just that they give us Hawaii, praise God, but they're also churning and creating this geochemical reactivity that we need so that our planet doesn't go dead And then we have this magma below the crust that is always churning and it creates our magnetosphere. If you don't know what to be grateful for today in your prayers, just say, God, thanks for the magnetosphere. Just up your prayer life. God will go, oh, I'm glad you knew it. I gave it to you. It's pretty rare to have a magnetosphere on a solid planet. You're like, where is he going? There's a point, stay with me. Not only that, we have an atmosphere. It's 300 miles thick. And without these elements working together, we would be dead. God doesn't just create a buffet. He creates a system where everything works together and everything gives life. If we took one of these elements away, we wouldn't be here. How bold are we to suggest to that creator that we can pick and choose from the design he has given us and expect to thrive. So many of us think that if we want our lives to thrive, we have to innovate. God says, if you want your life to thrive, you surrender to the creator. The second thing, God's design matters. The third thing, Christianity is a faith built on surrender to God's goodness. And as our musicians come forward, we're going to have a moment of response. And that's my favorite part of church. It's when we sort of get off the stage and let God do his thing. And I want you to know that this is a team experience. 
I did my study, that was fine. I get up here and I do my talking and that's fine. But here's where it gets good. When the Holy Spirit of God gets to have his way. And I encourage you, because I've sat in moments like this. I did this week, I will again next week. And the greatest joy of life is knowing that the King of heaven wants to do something in me. What does the King of heaven want to do in you? Christianity was never a faith built on trying harder, doing better, get the outside right, fake the rest. Christianity from the outset was a faith that said, if you want to live, you better die so that you can live again. And one of the boldest, bravest, healthiest questions you can ask today is where do I need to surrender? Where do I need to surrender? You know why you won't do it? Because you think you should. You know why you will do it? When you believe that it's good. David, the psalmist, in Psalm 63.3, he said, because your love is better than my life, my lips will glorify you. Jesus himself told his disciples, if anyone would come up after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. So this message is about relationships, but every relationship is really about Jesus. And I wonder where you stand with Jesus today. Would you take a moment if you feel comfortable, bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you're sitting in this room today and something's been interesting to you and you just don't know if you've ever gone all in with the King of Kings. I was so struck by that testimony in baptism today that said, I grew up around this stuff and kind of knew how to be a professional Christian, but it wasn't real. How do you make it real? The Bible says the gospel is gorgeous in its simplicity. Believe that there is a God and he is good. Believe that there is a problem and it is sin. Believe there is a hope and his name is Jesus. Believe there is a response and it is surrender. I wonder if there's anybody in here now that would say, Aaron, I need that in my life today. I'm tired of trying, I'm tired of running, I need Jesus. I'm ready to give everything I know of myself to everything I know about him. If that's you with no one looking but me on the count of three, would you slip your hand in the air for just a moment so I could pray for you? Aaron, today I'm tired. I want Jesus. Raise your hand high on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise God, I see your hands. I see your hands. Anybody over here? Amen. I see your hands. Anybody over here? Amen. Today, if that's you, I encourage you that sometime today, maybe even coming forward, grabbing somebody and telling God in prayer, Hey, husbands, I want to call you to action because this world needs some brave, bold husbands who live like Jesus. I wonder if there's a husband that says, I just need to recommit my life to being the leader in my home God is calling me to be. We got people ready to pray for you at the front. I'll be down here. I want to pray for you because we don't have to do this alone. By the way, I need people. Pray for me. We're in this together. Let me pray and let's respond. 